Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today teaches companies how to keep their customers. He's also an award-winning speaker and the author of Never Lose a Customer Again. Welcome to the show, Joey Coleman. Thank you so much, Sarah, and thanks to everybody who's joined us to listen in today. I'm super excited for our conversation. I'm super excited to talk with you. I actually started reading your book. got it in the mail. It was a lot thinker than I was imagining, so I haven't finished it yet. My editor said the same thing. Don't worry. We had a whole conversation about that. I think you even signed up to experience the book, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I yeah, thought so. I thought I saw that. Yeah. First, go into maybe a little bit of your background history and how you got into this field of helping people not lose customers. Yeah, my background is crazy eclectic, Sarah. I studied government and international relations in college. I went straight to law school where I studied national security law, international law, and litigation. I worked as a criminal defense lawyer for a while. I worked as a business consultant for Fortune 500 companies. I went back to being a criminal defense lawyer. I taught at the postgraduate level for a while. I ran a division of a promotional products company. I started and ran an ad agency doing brand design and logos and ad campaigns. And then about 10 years ago, full-time went into speaking and writing. And so that's what I do now. So for the last decade, I spent all that time before kind of teaching folks how to attract customers and get customers. And now I spend the bulk of my days teaching folks how to keep customers. So what are the things we can do to create the remarkable customer experiences that will keep people coming back for more? Wow, you have quite experience in all kinds of things. As business owners, we spend so much time, energy, and money even finding customers and obtaining customers, but yeah, we don't spend hardly as much trying to retain customers. Is there some kind of psychology behind that or what, what is, why is that? Oh, absolutely. I think there's biology behind it. I think there's psychology behind it. And I think there's organizational development and structure behind it, right? So let's break down each of those independently. Let's talk first about the biology. Human biology is all about propagating. How do we get more? How do we grow more? How do we develop more? And so we're kind of over-indexing on the what will help us be bigger, what will help us sustain, what will help us, you know, weather the storm, so to speak. We also have this biological and psychological component that the chase is better than the catch. We see this heavily in our dating lives, right? A lot of people are really good at dating, not so great at marriage. They're really excited about the chase. They're not so excited about the catch. They're really good about courting and enticing and intriguing. But then once they're into a longer term committed relationship, things have a tendency to get a little rote or a little repetitive or people take things for granted. I'm not saying that that's how we should operate. I'm saying that's how most humans are preconditioned to operate given our biological nature and our psychological wiring. So I think before we even start, we're fighting a bit of an uphill battle with the fact that we're human. Then we add on top of that some of the structural behaviors of our organizations. In most organization, the founder is somebody who came up through sales or marketing, right? The CEO, the leader, who's ever in charge. You really don't get a lot of customer service people being promoted to CEO of the company. Not saying it shouldn't work that way, but it usually 
does, you know, kind of have a tendency to follow those patterns. Additionally, we're in a situation where in most organizations, the person who's responsible for the customer experience or the customer interactions reports up to someone else who has a title like head of sales, head of marketing, head of operations, where they have a lot of things that go beyond the retention customer experience conversation and usually have a tendency to lean more towards those acquisition or growth type conversations. So we've got that going on as well. But to take it to a specific statistic that I found shocking when I discovered this, a few years ago, I went on Amazon and I went to the category of books and I searched for the word sales and I wrote down how many hits I got. In other words, how many books came up as being associated with the keyword sales. I wrote down that number. I erased the results and I put in the word marketing. I wrote down how many books came up for that result search. I added those two numbers together and I got 1.3 million books that had been written about sales or marketing. Great. So I erased those results. And instead I searched in the category of books for things like customer service, customer experience, customer retention, customer loyalty, account management, relationship management, lifetime value of the customer, all the things you would use to describe what happens after the sale. And even though some of those search terms would have produced the same book coming up more than one time, I tallied up all the results of those various searches and found barely 30,000 books. So while some listeners were told that there would be no math today on the <laughs> Frugalpreneur episode, let me do the math for you. What that means is for there have to be 43 books written about how to get a customer before there is one book that's written about how to keep a customer. So even in the zeitgeist, in the you know speakers, in the books that are being written, the content that is available to business leaders and to entrepreneurs, we find that there is an over-indexing on sales and marketing and acquisition as opposed to post-sale behavior, retention, experience, service. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. Thanks for breaking that down. That kind of puts it in perspective. Your book is one of the 30,000. I imagine it is <laughs> in a way probably doing better than maybe it would if it was about sales and marketing because you don't have as much competition. There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. I mean, it's the end of the day. And I say this respectfully my, to my colleagues that work in sales and marketing. If you pay any attention to business writers or business speakers, you probably know several that talk about selling or several that talk about marketing, but you probably don't know as many that talk about retention or as many that write about retention, which is why not only do I find it more interesting, but it's certainly been a fun niche or niche, or depending on how you pronounce it, space to operate in over the last decade. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you refer to it in the book is instead of it being B to B or B to C, it's H to H which is human to human. And I, I love that. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses, Sarah, use their status as either a B2B business or a B2C business to justify behaviors that they know just don't make sense. And I don't say that to be critical, but it's like, well, Joey, you don't understand. We're B2B. I'm like you're still selling to humans. There's a human being on the other end of that transaction that wants to feel seen, heard, appreciated, valued. And if you bring more of that, quote unquote, B to C, personal, emotional energy interaction 
to a business-to-business context conversation, you will have even greater results. That kind of makes me think of, you know, when you're driving and you kind of view the other drivers as just cars, you don't really view them as people. So when someone like cuts you off or whatever, you're thinking like you're not thinking of another person and maybe they're going through something and who knows what's going on. It's kind of, I just thought of that as kind of similar, whereas you're viewing when you're B2B or B2C, it's almost like viewing it as survey object, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. And I think you're spot on. I think at the end of the day, wherever we can focus in on the fact that the person on the other end of the line, the person on the other end of the sale, the person on the other end of the video conference call is a human being going through their own stuff. They're having their own challenges, their own wins, their own losses, their own struggles. It creates more empathy in us and it makes it easier to connect with them on a personal level. You know, one of the things that I try to do, and I I work with a lot of my consulting clients on this, especially the folks that work in call centers or in customer service that invariably are dealing with humans who would probably describe themselves as not being in their best emotional state when they called in or when they reached out with a problem or a complaint or, you know, just to yell at someone sometimes. It behooves us to just acknowledge the humans. And I have found that there is nothing that will diffuse an irate customer faster than that customer being allowed to vent and you letting that customer know that you understand and appreciate their pain and, and feeling comfortable just sitting in that a little bit, not in a depressive kind of longing state, but more of a, let's just acknowledge the reality, let you feel heard. And then maybe before I jump to solutions, ask you, well, do you have any thoughts on how we could make this better? I've got some ideas. But before I shared my ideas, do you have any ideas? And nine times out of 10, what we find is the people say, I just wanted to complain or I just wanted someone to know that this was wrong. And it's like, you're, you're right. It was, it's, it's bad. It never should have happened that way. I'm so sorry. I'm genuinely sorry because I can't imagine how frustrating it was for you to sign up for that service, buy that product, have, you know, spend your hard earned money, have this experience and now have to work your way to me to explain how bad it was. Lots of times that's enough. So what is your opinion then on the expression that the customer is always right? Oh, I I think that is horribly flawed. Like most maxims or tropes, I understand where it comes from, but I think it is, I think our problem is when we're trying to decide who's right or wrong. I think when we say the customer is always right, it implies that either we did something wrong or they can't do something wrong. I would rather see it is instead of saying the customer is always right, maybe say something like always okay for the customer to have their opinion or the customer's perspective always needs to be heard or the customer should always feel that they're seen or that they're listened to. I think we can avoid getting into this right or wrong conversation. There's enough conversations in our lives that we have to have about right or wrong to not have them in every 
customer vendor, business owner, business uh, employee interaction. Okay. Not saying there isn't right or wrong, but I think we have a tendency to flip to those type of positions a little too quickly and without taking a beat or a moment to say, what's actually going on here? What are some tips or techniques that you recommend someone proactively to keep a customer or client, but then even a customer or client wants to cancel? What I'd say generally the thing that I would recommend is that most businesses don't pay enough attention to onboarding. I define onboarding as those activities that you are taking to welcome a new customer into the fold, to get them comfortable with your way of doing business and making sure that they have the support, the information, the encouragement necessary for them to achieve the goal they had when they originally purchased your product or their service. So it's being there for them. It's delivering the value you promised. As much as onboarding, is something that organizations don't focus on. An even smaller percentage of organizations pay attention to offboarding. To your point, what happens when someone wants to cancel? See, lots of times when a business, it's a customer that wants to cancel or wants to discontinue service or not just not even be a customer anymore. Business owners, even business employees, take that as a personal affront. It's like, oh, how dare you? You would leave, you would, you would stop our doing business with me. You'd stop buying with me. I'm offended. I'd rather see people get curious. I'd rather see them say, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. We're really going to miss you. Would it be fair for me to ask why you're leaving? Why you don't want to do business? I'm not going to try to sell you or convince you that you should stay. I just want to see, is there anything we could have done to make you not want to leave? Or is there anything we could do in the future for other customers to make sure they don't have the experience you have? See, sometimes the customer is leaving because of things that are outside of our control. Let me give you an example of that. I'm currently doing our conversation from my home in Iowa. In a few months, I'm going to be moving to Minnesota. When I move, I will stop doing business with the restaurants that I've done business with here while I've been living in Iowa. Not because they've done anything wrong, but because I don't want to drive three and a half hours to pick up takeout, right? That's just a practical reality of a geographic distribution. Now, if a business that is seen regular repeat business from me every week suddenly doesn't see business from me and they reach out presuming that they've done something wrong, presuming that I'm offended, presuming that I've gone to the competition, as opposed to being curious and saying, wow, Joey, we haven't seen you. Why is that? Oh, because I moved 150 miles away. Oh, well, do you ever get back to town? Yeah, I do. And rest assured, I'll be coming to see you guys because I love what you serve. Okay, here's the deal, Joey. When you come back, will you call us? and make a reservation because we want to do something special for you. We've had so much fun taking care of you for the last few years while you've been here. We want to make sure that we do something special when we're lucky enough to have you make a return visit. Now, imagine what my reaction as a customer would be. First of all, you can bet that I am going to go to that restaurant again when I come back. 
Number two, you can bet that I'm going to be expecting and excited about something a little different, a little special, a little unique. And if that happens, you can bet I'm going to tell other people about it. I'm going to go on social media and do a post. I'm going to talk to friends and family that still live here. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? I went back to this place and look at what they did. They rolled out the red carpet. They made me feel like it was old home week that I was coming home. It's like, cheers. Everybody knows my name. It's so exciting. Even though I haven't been here in months, this stuff is not rocket science. It's about showing your customers that you care. It's about showing your customers that they matter as individuals, as humans, that you don't see them as transactions. And it's about getting curious when a customer wants to leave without presuming that you know why they're leaving without taking the chance to ask them. It's a great example. Um, in that scenario, if the customer client gives you a reason that is something within your control, like they're not happy with something, what do you recommend as far as steps to take? Like, do you just accept that they want to leave and be like, apologize and we'll work on that? Or do you? Yeah, I think it depends on the circumstance, Sarah. And I say this respectfully, but the way you just described it is often what it feels like when we cancel. Uh, what do you want me to do? Apologize. Tell you I'm sorry. Good luck. <laughs> really? Now, I mean, I have two young boys, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And one of the things that my wife and I try to work on overtime with them is how to look someone in the eye and properly make an apology when something has gone wrong. See, I don't think that's something we're teaching enough humans. Okay. Now, I'm not saying we should walk through life wrapped in bubble wrap so that we don't bump into people and apologizing for everything we do. The practical reality is humans interacting with other humans, there are going to be friction points. Those are going to occur. Even in the most loving, connected relationships, we see those, let alone in a transactional customer business relationship. So when something goes awry, if you're going to apologize, mean it. If you don't mean it, don't insult me or you by giving a feigned, scripted, apology that is really a don't let the door hit you on the way out insult cloaked in well i'm so sorry that you didn't get what you wanted here maybe you'll find it elsewhere i mean come on right tone matters words matter language matters so i think when you are setting up a business or you're setting up your business operations one of the things you want to think about is how do you want your customers to feel at every point of the customer journey? Now, we're talking specifically in these series of examples we're doing about a customer leaving. Well, how do you want them to feel when they leave? I don't know about you, Sarah, but I've had business interactions with some businesses that I will never do business with again, even if they are the last business on the face of the planet, because the interaction was so terrible. Then I've got other businesses that even though the breakup wasn't pretty, the way they handled it made me say, maybe I'll give them a chance again in the future. Let's go back to our restaurant example. How many times have we gone to a restaurant and we've gotten a meal and we were like, eh, it just wasn't so good tonight. Kind of overcooked or undercooked or the waiter or the waitress just was, was kind of a little gruff and rude. Do we walk out of that restaurant usually and say, never again? 
never again will I grace them with my presence. No, we probably walk out and go, ah, that wasn't that great. Probably should have gone somewhere else. Maybe the following week or the following month when we go out, we try a different place. But eventually we have a tendency to come back. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the cover of my book, Never Lose a Customer Again, there's a picture on the cover of a balloon floating away. Okay. And it's the O in the word lose for never lose a customer. It's the O is floating away. And that was very consciously chosen because most customers don't leave in a huff. They don't flip the table over and storm out. They just quietly drift away. We don't even know that they're leaving until they're gone. Half the time, we it's too late before we even realize. And we're like, wait, what? we haven't heard from them in months. What have they been doing? And by then, it's too late because they floated away and they're gone. I'm not saying you need to hold on to your customers like a fist holds on to a string on a balloon, right? To keep them from blowing away. But what I am saying is we've got to keep our eyes on our customers. We've got to pay attention to what the relationship is. We've got to keep track of where they are. On a regular basis, you should be looking at a list of all of your customers saying, what is the last interaction I had with them? Was that positive or negative? What do I think the next interaction with them is going to be? How am I going to make that positive or negative? So that we're living in the space of the customers we serve, instead of getting caught up in all the machinations of running our business. Oh, what are our email open rates? And oh, who's our new vendor for our phone system gonna be? And oh, I can't believe that we've got to order new cartridges for the printer or whatever it may be. Running a business is hard. Being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, it's hard. I get it, I've been doing it for 20 years. And you chose this. No one forced you to become an entrepreneur. So you get to choose what type of emphasis you put on your customers. Now, in the beginning, most businesses put a good amount of emphasis on their customers because we only have one or two or three. It's really easy to pay attention to them. But as our business grows, that's where our attention has a tendency to fizzle out a little bit. Our focus gets a little blurred because we're trying to juggle too many things at the same time. Wherever we can, bring it back to the customer bring it back to the emotions we're trying to create, bring it back to having our customers feel seen and feel heard. That solves about 99% of your problems as a business owner. It almost kind of seems like a marriage relationship or even a friendship. You have to keep nurturing it, kind of like what you're talking about, to keep it going and positive. Otherwise, it could just fizzle out and like float away like that balloon, which, by the way, that cover, that's what drew my eye to it was that little floating balloon. So. I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. No, I, and I totally agree with you, Sarah. I think there are a lot of parallels to dating and marriage. And we know at least here in the United States, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. What about businesses? Well, the research shows that 20 to 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100 day anniversary. Now imagine if all of those divorces happen in the first three months, I know some of them do. We've all seen the stories in the tabloids of, oh my gosh, they got married in Vegas on Friday and we're divorced by Tuesday. Okay, I get it. But most marriages have a tendency to last a little bit longer than 100 days, if not years. Okay, here's the thing. When we go into our business interactions, we want the customer to stay long term. I don't know a single business owner that's like, man, I hope they buy from me once and never again. Right? That doesn't happen. However, what are you doing 
to increase the likelihood that they want to stay? What are you doing to invest in that relationship, to invest in the connection with that customer, to deepen the relationship to the point where they do want to do business with you six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, a decade from now? That's where I think we should be putting our focus and attention. Yeah. And in your book, the eight phases of customer experience, and I love the fact that they all start with A because I love alliteration. I was wondering if you could briefly touch on those. Sure. Let me give a quick overview and then we can dive into any that you want to dive into, Sarah. You're absolutely right. The eight phases all do start with the letter A. That's not designed to make people get confused about which phase is which as much as it is to think of it almost like a report card from your customers. And if you get all the A's right, it's like getting straight A's on your report card, right? Your customers are loving you. Things are good. The first phase, phase one, is the assess phase. This is when a prospect is considering whether or not they want to do business with you. In common parlance, we call this marketing and sales. They then go to phase two, the admit phase, where a prospect admits that they have a problem or a need that they believe you can help them with. They sign on the dotted line, they hand over their hard-earned cash, they transition from being a prospect to being a customer. Almost immediately after that, they go to phase three, the affirm phase. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse. This is where biologically the new customer, because of dopamine releases and recession in the brain, begins to feel doubt and fear and uncertainty about the decision that they just made to do business with you. During the affirm stage, we want to reaffirm their decision and remind them that they made a great choice and that we're going to take great care of them. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. Now, I call this activate because this is the first real moment of truth. You want to energize the relationship right? This is when they get the product they ordered in the mail from you and they're unboxing it and using it for the first time, or they come to the kickoff meeting of whatever your service is, or if it's a lawn care company, they show up to mow your lawn for the first time. This is the first real moment where we're going to get to get value from this relationship. What are you doing to energize that and show them that your way of doing business is different than any other business they've ever experienced? We then come to phase five. Now, Sarah, as a pro tip, phase five is where most businesses start to fall off the rails. This is the acclimate phase. In the acclimate phase, you have to connect with your customer and help them to get familiar with your way of doing business. What are your systems? What are your procedures? What is your process? What is the timeline? What is the frequency? What are the communications going to look like? See, you've delivered your product or your service dozens of times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. But to a brand new customer that's never done business with you, they have no idea what's coming next. How can you hold their hand and help them navigate this time with you? If you do that well, we come to phase six, the accomplish phase, where the customer achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you, way back when they were a prospect. This can be to have a good looking lawn. This can be to have the dress that they look fabulous in at the wedding. This can be to have the software that makes them more effective and efficient. This can be to have the toy that the kids love playing with. Whatever it is, whatever you sell, your customers are trying to accomplish something by doing business with you. Do you know what they're trying to accomplish? Or have you made a presumption about what they're trying to accomplish? Are you tracking their progress towards that goal? Or did you sell it to them and figured it doesn't really matter if they get it or all because I've already gotten the money. Let's just move on. 
the best companies in the world crack and celebrate when their customers accomplish their goals. If you do that, you get to go to phase seven, the adopt phase, when the customer becomes loyal to you and only you, they're not going to the competition, they're all bought in. And if, and only if, Sarah, we've made it through all seven phases, do we reach the eighth phase, the holy grail, nirvana, the advocate phase, where the customer becomes a raving fan singing our praises far and wide. This is where we get testimonials. This is where we get referrals. This is where we get repeat business. Here's the interesting thing. Most businesses want to rocket from the purchase to the referral. They want to go from the first order to the repeat order. They want to go from, hey, thanks for giving me $10. Let me give you a chance to give me 20 more. No, we've got to navigate through those phases and give our customers time in each phase to get used to the customer journey and to have an experience of the customer journey so that we can transition them from one element of their journey to the next. I love that. And I think that that gives a good overview of the book and what people can find in the book. Definitely recommend everyone checking your book out. They can learn more about you at joeycoleman.com. I'll also have show notes at thesaracinejohn.com forward slash joey. Were there any other quick tips or advice that you wanted to give before we close out? I would say, Sarah, the, the last kind of tip or advice that I might give folks, especially since we're recording this, not to date ourselves uh, for the future listeners in the world, but we're recording this at a time where we're coming out of the pandemic in many ways. In some places, we're still dealing with it. I don't mean to diminish the impact that it's still having in a lot of people's lives, but a lot of people, at least in the United States, are getting back to more day-to-day -day activities. I would encourage everyone listening to try their best to lead from a place of empathy and recognize that your experience of the last two years is markedly different than the experience of the person you're talking to in the last two years. Not because you've led a better life or a worse life, but because every human on the planet has experienced this COVID era differently. And if we lead from a place of, I'm gonna be open to the version of you that's showing up without making assumptions or presumptions about who you are or what you are, or what the last two years have looked like for you. And instead, I'm gonna to try to meet you where you're at today and do whatever I can to provide value, to serve you, to make you feel seen, to make you feel heard that will allow you to emerge from this time period in our history better off than when you started. That will allow you to move forward with a sense of purpose and intention and value that I think will serve you for many years to come. Awesome. That's a great way to close things out. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks to everybody for listening as well. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation as much as I enjoyed talking to Sarah. And I uh, wish you all the best as you go out and create remarkable experiences for all of your customers. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.